Hey, legend. Today we have Lance Buckman, a serial entrepreneur, digital marketing expert. He's an author. This guy is balling with a capital B. He's absolutely crushing it. But today we don't just get into success and money and how he built his businesses, but we talk about how he was in and out of jail from nine years old. That's right, you heard me, from nine years old for about 12 years and how he turned his life around and how he went through his transition from boyhood into manhood and just sorted his shit out, the sacrifices he had to make and the decisions he made and how he made them. It's a pretty insane story. He shares a lot about those periods in his life and where his head was at and it's just so, so many epic takeaways from this episode. So enjoy Lance Bachman and I'll talk to you soon. Lance, what a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah. Ready to jump in. Let's let's jump in the deep end like, like we spoke about. I'd love it if you can start with telling us the first time you went to jail. Uh, I was nine, 10 years old. I was in Bucks County, got locked up, um, and they sent me away for a year. Um, Bucks County to a Republican town, a few fist fights. My brothers and my family had a bad reputation in Bucks County. See, Philadelphia is a very – Philadelphia is a big place where Philadelphia – I would have never been locked up or most likely, but Bucks County is very wealthy County, um, Republican, uh, for the most part now it's democratic, but 30 years ago, 40 years ago at the time, Republican, um, you know, prison's a business, you know, you got to keep police officers on the street. You got to keep guards, you know, you got to keep them paid. You got to keep, you know, politicians in office, judges. in. I mean, the whole system's just one big money making machine and, um, it's actually, I think, behind the teachers union, the second largest union in the country. Wow. So unions equal votes, right? So, I mean, um, I'm not a fan of the system at all. Um, I could tell you, yes, did I get into a fist fight? Was I a 10-year-old kid, 9-year-old kid? I get multiple fist fights? Yes. Should I have been locked up? Fuck no. But it's a business. Crazy. And what, did you have to like beat the living shit out of someone at nine, 10 years old to go to prison for a year? Or I was just getting multiple fist fights. I, I, I moved from the city out to the burbs. It's just, I had older brothers that were constantly in trouble. My family wasn't the best. My dad, alcoholic, beat us, never around. My mom was alcoholic, oh. struggling. Just, it just wasn't a good situation. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't talk about those things. I think if you talk about them and you're honest with people and you're real, you can help other kids that have such a low self-esteem and just even young men that have low self-esteem to understand, well, this isn't the end point for me, man. This, and I was a child, so I have no problem saying anyone. That shit wasn't my fault. That was all these adults making decision-making. Mm. Like, I have a 10 year old son and I couldn't imagine him going away. And listen, my 10 year old son isn't perfect. He's a little pain in the ass. Yeah, crazy. And how, what what was that like that year? I mean, you were in jail. Was it just like juvenile? It was a juvenile uh, reformatory school. Um, honestly, truthfully, um, I would love to sit here and tell you it was a horrible place. It really wasn't. I mean, um, at 10 years old, I was almost a grown man mentally just of everything I've seen. Um I just didn't have the same experience as other kids. You know, I look at my six-year-old son, Davey, he'll be six next year. And I'm like, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, I can't sit there and lie and say it was a horrible thing. Listen, they fed me out of bed. Um, I actually had a decent roommate. He was an older kid. He was 17. He was really nice. Um, I still remember his name, Lionel. I'm not going to say his last name. I haven't talked to him since. Kind of took me, um, protected me. They didn't anyone fuck with me. I was the youngest kid in the place. Um, so, like, very fortunate. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I mean – 
Chansey, after that, the next stops got tougher and, and crazier and wilder and makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what is the next stop after that when you're saying that? Well, I came out, I went to Council Rock and then I got into a few fist fights out there and they put me in uh, Glen Mills. Right. And Glen Mills is a juvenile detainment place. I think it's closed down now. Um, I heard they're reopening it for beating kids and I mean, the staff just constantly beat the kids, beat the balls off of the kids, um, kids fist fighting each other nonstop. Um, listen, but it was also one of the best things that ever happened to me. I tell people that. Um, and, and this is going to sound really, really crazy. Once you've been beaten so much, there's no physical harm that can actually hurt you anymore. Mm. Like, I know it sounds crazy. Like, mental damage, I think, is 10 times worse than physical. Mm. I really believe that with all my heart. The mental damage people do to people because physical as soon as that pain's gone the pain's gone like like uh, it doesn't matter you, you get beat up enough it's just like there's no man in the world like listen mike tyson might whoop my ass and put me in a coma but i'm not afraid of that makes sense like there's nothing you can't do that hasn't been done to me what's been broken a thousand times and repaired itself is probably going to repair itself again makes mm -hmm. sense it's yeah. the mental part that you have to really put together so glenn mills was a um Gladiator Academy and I went to camp too and then a few other places and um, you know by the time I was 21 I knew I was done I was 20 21 I knew I was just done with the bullshit I was like this is just way too much I gotta change my life man fuck this crazy yeah and so I'm gonna wind up in prison for the rest of my life like some of my brothers have done long long stretches as adults um, every Bachman boy male has been in a prison cell every Bachman male it's wow. a sad thing to say. My mom and father's kids, every Bachman boys, have been locked up and put away for some time. Wow. And some of them are school teachers now, and they'll try and hide it and deny it. And it, it's funny because people will act like people will deny like their childhood and act like this shit didn't happen. I'm like, do you know how many people you could? I used to be like that. I would, I would, I used to lie to people. And, like, I went to Council Rock. I grew up rich and wealthy because social media wasn't around back 30 years ago. So when you met new people, you could be like, yeah, I'm rich. I went to Council Rock. And people are like, oh, man, yeah. And then they find out you're poor as shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it, how we grow through that phase, especially I felt like when I was, like, going through my early 20s and stuff, like how much I was just – I would just put on a full-on facade of what went on in my life and, like, you know, and – just be lying. So I'm walking around with this lie of who I want people to see me as rather than just being honest and um, – and I feel like that really spread through into so many other areas. Like that was the cornerstone for me to lie about so many other things. You know, the worst I ever felt about myself was from the time I was probably 10 mm. to 25, 26, somewhere in that time frame. The worst I like just no, probably a little, maybe 24, no confidence, didn't love myself, actually hated myself. Like you just name it self destruction, like just. I look back and I'm like, man, like if I could just reach down and give that kid a hug and say, man, it's going to be fucking okay, dude, what I would do to that kid. And that's why I love kids more than anything in the world now. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? I think that's like the wildest thing is like, it actually, when you said that, it actually caught me up a bit. Cause I'm like, man, like if someone had just given me a genuine hug at that period of time in my life, I think it would have just changed the direction of so many things, you know, and that's all I needed. It was really just a small gesture of like, Hey man, it's, it's going to be okay. 
And then yeah. just like knowing, whereas everything was so scattered and feeling like there was no base of support. And like, I'm, I had like a thousand dollars in my lockup and I was like at a private school in a small town of like, you know, quite a small country town from like selling drugs. And I was like fucking 16. And you're like, what are you? Like, I look back at that and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like that is insanity, but it seemed so logical. And like, I was making sense of so many different things, you know, to get to that. Point. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. Totally. Okay. Well, I guess I'd love to know, like you, t I think you've spoken about, um, where is it? Give me one second. When you don't have self-esteem, you flock towards what people make you. Could you expand on, on that? Cause I felt like that was such a strong, strong statement. Yeah. Like, so like I didn't have self-esteem. I didn't realize how much I was manipulated by a lot of people. You, my own brothers, my younger brother, you know, go out and start a fight knowing that I would handle it. My brothers, you know, and I would handle it, you know, and, you know, then you get this reputation of becoming a tough guy. And that's really not who you are. Like I was, like, listen, I never wanted to put my hands on someone like, but I was never afraid of the toughest kid in the room. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But like no man, unless you're mentally like really something's wrong with you really wants to go beat up another man for no reason. Like you just don't want to, right? Like, I just don't care what anyone says. There's just something mentally wrong with you. So you get manipulated into, oh, do this or do that and other things because you want to be accepted when you have no self-esteem. And I've always said this. This is why people join biker gangs and gangs and they join these clubs and all these things. And it's so easy to troll people now online because when you have no self-esteem, people want to be part of something. And, you know, I thank God some of the choices I made um, I should probably have been dead by now, right? Or life in prison, like, you know, with multiple things. And you just look back and you're like, damn, man, like I escaped a lot of bullets, a lot of bad decision making. And, you know, I'm blessed by God, you know, I'm truly, and I'm grateful. Like, I mean, I'm truly, truly grateful. I think, you know, I look at it, I'm just like, Phew. and I hung with some wrong people. But I will tell you this, I had some great friends that supported me, Mike Ortman, Seth Dunn, I mean, these guys and their families were by my side where most people turned on me, wouldn't let me in their house, but their parents, I want you to think about this, their parents would let me in their house, right? Like imagine you're just getting out of two years of being locked up and you come home and your best friend Seth Dunn and Mike Ortman are like bringing you through their house and their mom and dad are hugging you and they're talking to you and they're so happy to see you, but then everyone else in your community is shunning you. Like, right. So like, they don't understand the effect that they had on me during that time frame. Steve Barn, another kid, his mom never, I can name the kids that were great to me and their families. It's almost like a funeral. I tell people this. No one never, no one never knows who comes to the funeral. They know who doesn't show up to the funeral though. Yeah, totally. So I can only tell you the people, I can't name names of people that shunned me and did this. I only need names of people that really, 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 my coach, Andy Sanko, Vinny Bettison, you know, these, these guys were just great men. Mr. Holland, Applegate. I had, I'm fortunate. I had some very good, great role models that really in a tough time in my life where most men don't have great role models. Regan Mahoon, that place Glenn Mills I told you about was one of the greatest men. He taught me how to read and write. Like one of the greatest men. I, like if I ever saw him, I'd hug him. I'm not mad at him. Crazy. He taught you to read and write at that place? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Eighth grade. Wild. Wild. Seventh what, grade, um, yeah. what, what do you think was, did you, did you have a pivotal moment where you feel like you turned a corner and, and you decided to go and 
you know, you know people ask me all the time, was like some pivotal thing. No, I just think it's a matter of just multiple. Listen, I, 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 I took 10 step forwards and took five steps back, 10 step forward. I failed so much in life. There was no like magic bullet. Like, you know, it, it, I see these parents with their kids, right? And I'm going to use it for that one. And, and, and like I coach wrestling, right? And these parents all think there's this magic fucking bullet for their kid to get back. I'm going to take them here. I'm going to take them here. Oh, I need them to wrestle more live. I need them to wrestle heavier. Like all the nonsense after a kid loses, right? Like after a kid loses, you should be surprised the chirping I hear from moms and dads and everyone. These are people I know and I love, right? But they can't help them fucking selves instead of just saying, you know what? Little Johnny lost. Maybe he took a step back. We got to go work harder and just get back to it, right? Same thing with my life. There was no pivotal moment. There was just moments in time where I took a step back and I didn't let it define me, right? Mm -hmm. Like interstate locksmith, I worked there, right? Got my buddy a job there. We went out. I got into a fist fight, got locked up. And I was probably 21, making most money I've ever made in my lifetime, like $35,000, which to me back then was the most, like that's, 35 grand to a poor kid, you're rich, right? And it was a good job. I enjoyed the people I worked with. And um, and the guy, Dave Bryan's like, Lance, listen. And I know he cared about me, but he cared about his company more. He's like, I got to let you go. And at first I was mad and resentful. And now that I own these businesses, I understand it. It's not personal, dude. Like I could love you, but if you're a hindrance and don't do the right things, I can't be associated with you, right? So you leave. So, but I didn't let that define me. I went to work at Donnelly Directory. Went to Donnelly Directory, made great money there. I was making six figures there. So life worked out because I didn't let it define me. I left there, right? Um, and I went to Verizon. I made more money. I went to yellowpages.com. So like, and yes, I had challenges at some of these places personally and, you know, um, professionally. But every time I get knocked down, I literally say to myself, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. Um, the day I left yellowpages.com, I flew home, California. I was living. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And the next morning, I was up at 5 o'clock. My brother Greg, who was living with me down in Philadelphia, he's like, what the fuck are you doing up at 5 a.m. with a suit on sitting at the table with a computer? I said, I'm working. He's like, on what? I'm like, on what I'm going to do next. But that was my mindset, like, right? Like, it's just what you have to be. Mm -hmm. What was going through your head when you, like, lost that locksmith job? Like, did it take you long? I was to young. Like, okay, I, I got to fucking turn this around? Or were you like... No, I was mad. I was mad. I was mad because I did a lot for them. Mm. But they paid me during that time to do a lot for them, right? Um, but I learned a lot. Um, but God takes you to where you're supposed to go and what's going to happen. I mean, like, think about all, and I truly believe this, like, you know, I can only put it like in a personal note, I think everybody understand, like, I've dated women, right? And I had a few serious girlfriends, two or three in my lifetime, right? And the song Unanswered Prayers from Garth Brooks, I always think about that song. And then I met my wife, right? And me and my wife had probably the shittiest start that anyone could ever have, like, I looked at my relationships before that, like the three girls I dated, like they were like, and then my wife and me had like the shittiest start, like you'd ever have, right? And then you're like, dude, like I couldn't imagine my life without my wife now. I couldn't imagine, like I couldn't imagine, even, and not that they're bad people, there's a few girlfriends I truly had, 
I wouldn't want to spend a night with them today. Like I would go out to dinner with them with my wife and their husbands or don't, but like if you could turn back time and say, yo, you can go get this one. I'm not going to sing one out. Like you would, I'd be like, fuck no. When the devil lets you out of hell, you don't come back. And like, no, like not in a bad way. Like not like, but the same thing is there's moments with your job and your, and, and you go back, it's really the devil letting you out of hell most of the time. Like that, like there's something better if you make it better, but most people don't make it better because they want to harp on the past. And I don't do that at all. And like, so now like for me, you know, I'm not saying my marriage is perfect because no one's is when I hear that shit, wow, my marriage is perfect. I'm like, okay, this guy's out of his mind, but I can tell you, I love my wife and I'm happier more days than I'm miserable. Right. Cause we all go through those times where you're just like, oh man, this, but 80%, 90% of it's good. And that's what you, I look at. Mm. So, so this turning point for you, when you got out of um, prison 21, 22 issues, like when you're like, I'm turning my life around, how did that, what was the trajectory that you, so you went from yellow pages and then what was next? I went from uh, Verizon to, well, I went from Donnelly directory to Verizon on advertising to AT&T yellowpages.com to the vice president of AT&T. And I started my own company 15 years ago, 16 years ago now, one SEO. Mm. And was that, when did you realize that you were pretty good at? Pretty good at what? At, at the marketing side of things and advertising side of things. I or just, just like, cool, I've selected a thing and now I'm just gonna like, you know, get really good at it. And it was just the- I was uh, never passionate about marketing. Yeah. Like literally I went to school to be a, a teacher so I could coach wrestling and coach soccer. The funny part is my kids don't even play soccer, which is a disappointment. They play football and they love it, but whatever, man. I'm like, all right, dude, like at least they wrestle. I got one of them. Um, so I went to school to be a teacher. My first degree is in education. Taught for two weeks. I hated it. I actually taught one of my buddies, Kevin Murray. Um, he's still, now he, he quit teaching too. It's a, teaching is a very tough job. I give a lot of credit to teachers. Um, as much as I don't believe in education, I believe in educators, right? I think there's a difference, right? Like, People are like, oh, tell you be so harsh on education. I'm like, well, no offense. No one gives a fuck what Thomas Jefferson did. And know what? If you get to win that on top, on Jeopardy, kudos for you, man. God bless you, dude. Like, that that's just doesn't, that's not my stick. And you no, know, my kid comes home and says, Dad, you know who Paul Revere is? Do you know what he did? I'm going to be like, well, how does that affect us? Yeah. Like, not being rude. Like, I want my kids to come home and say, yo, dad, this is the net income on our P&L. Hey, dad, do you know what percentage of marketing should be in a business? Hey, dad, do you know what gross profit is? Yo, hey, dad, do you know what our labor rate is? Hey, dad, do you know what our, you know, whatever it may be, you know? Um, so I, I think, you know, there's pivotal moments happening when you're looking at education. And, you know, I wanted to coach um, kids. So I was going to be a school teacher. I did not. You know, I wasn't passionate about marketing, but then I realized I was good at it. And I saw how many people I was helping. And I was like, man, I can really give, I can make money and help people. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that was like the best. Like I can make money and help people. Like I'm not just taking, I'm also giving, right? So then I mastered my craft on how the phone book worked. And the bigger the ads, believe it or not, the better return most people got 90% of the time. There was always an outlier. So I was like, oh shit, man. Like, so if I just started, like, I believe so much, you know, I, I became the number one sales guy in the country for the phone book. And then the internet came out and I was like, I mean, I was young. I was like, okay, 
I'm like, this makes sense, right? I mean, I was the first one to get that Garmin GPS throughout my whole entire company at Verizon that went up on a dashboard, right? And it gave you directions instead of using MapQuest. And it cost me, I think, 1300 bucks at the time. And people thought I was crazy, but I was flying around stress-free from appointment to appointment. Just, I made back my 1300 bucks probably week one. Um, so, and then I fell in love with marketing when I truly understand digital marketing. And then when I sold one SEO, not that I hate digital marketing, I love digital marketing. I love talking about digital marketing. I love looking at digital marketing. I still think I'm one of the best digital marketers in the country. I hated the business side. I did. I hate, I hated the business side. Um, I hated two factors, right? I hated, I hated all these young kids with a laptop that never have done anything in their life. And they tell people they're a digital marketer. And I'm like, listen, fucked hard. Like you still got your diaper on here, man. Like, like, you, like it's like someone telling you how to live and they're in their twenties. Right. Like, why don't you live first and tell me how to live. Right. Like I don't go talk to a 70 year old man and tell him how to live. He lived. He knows what, what life's about. Marketing's the same exact thing. The longer you've been doing this and if you care about it, the better you become at it and the more creative you become at it. Um, that part I hate it. And then, Honestly, some of the younger generation kids, man, they didn't care about the clients. And when I started my company, man, it was all like everything I do is about I want happy customers. I want happy employees. I want happy customers. If you can do those two things, I believe companies grow. Yeah, and the yeah. problem is when you scale to a certain point, it's the old, you have to let people in, right? And um, Jack Walsh, obviously, the old GE boss, I don't know if there's this would go down, but he resonates with me. It's either A, C, or F, right? Like you either are an A player, a C player, which I'm going to replace F. I'm getting rid of you right away. And this culture today doesn't want that. And they don't want to be part of that. And I'm more like Jack Walsh with that, like ACF, man. Like psh, we, I want to win so bad and take care of our customers. I believe you take care of customers and all my companies to rest fall in line. I believe you take care of your employees and they want to be there the company's going to spark like this. Mm. Do, you, do you feel like you, when you started hiring people, did you feel like you gave people who, you know, maybe reminded you of yourself more of a chance than you should have? Like, how did you navigate that as you were, as you were growing? Or do you feel I'm like always you about, I'm always about second chances. I don't listen. Yeah. There's a few no's for me. You touch a child. Whew, I don't care what the reason is. Sexually assault a woman, I don't care what the reason is. You beat up a woman, I don't care what the reason is. Honestly, if you killed someone, I'd probably hire you. Like, I'm not being rude. Like, if, a, if a guy murdered someone 15 years ago and did his time eight years ago and he could explain it, it was a barroom brawl, it was a bad situation, he thought he was in danger, and he pulled, I'd probably hire him. I'm not hiring um, any of those things right there. No matter what the reason is, I don't care. And that's not personal. I mean, I'm sure someone watching this podcast is going to say, what the fuck? This guy's judgmental. I'm not judgmental about anything. I'm curious, but I don't want to be curious about those three things, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to have a conversation with you about it. I don't want you justifying about it. Like, I don't judge you. I just don't want to be around you, man. Right. But I've hired, I've hired people that had felons for selling drugs back in the day, you know, I want to see time, right? I want to see time. I want to see a 10-year time span. You know, you deserve a second chance after seven, 10 years. You, like, you're not – the man I am at 50 this month, or I'll be 50, 
hated the man at 40 I am. The man at 40 hated the man at 30. The man at 30 hated the man at 20, right? I can truly say that. Every 10 years I look at myself and say, dude, I don't even recognize that guy. I don't even recognize that guy. That's why I would tell everybody, wait to get married here in your 35, 40, because you're going to change so much if you're really developing and taking care of yourself. You're not even going to be the same person. But then I see guys that are 50 that are the same person they are when they're 30, and you're like, all right, cool for you, man. You're the cool kid on the block. You, you're, you're the cool guy. Killing it. Still killing it. Peaked in huh? high school. <laughs> Peaked in high school. Still killing it. You know, here's a true story thinking about that, right? And I'm not going to say anyone's names here. I know these guys. I know I know people, right? And I was friends with a bunch of people. I'm, I'm friends with different groups, right? And I saw a group of guys always going out, going out, going out, going out, going out. The one guy finds out he has cancer and he dies. And he has multiple kids and wife and young kids, like probably teenagers, right? And I'm like, man, this guy was out four nights a week, five nights a week, drinking with his friends almost every weekend. I'm like, does he regret doing that and not being with his family? I don't know because I wasn't that friendly with him. But to me, that was eye-opening. That event probably happened six years ago, seven years ago. It probably changed a little bit because all those same people, Went to his funeral, gave a little Facebook post, and moved on. They're living their best life. So I always think, like, if you aren't changing and evolving, to my point, and you're still the same guy at 50 or at 40, you probably didn't make much progress financially. Probably didn't make progress, you know, with your family, all around self-development. So um, I don't need to be the guy out drinking in the bars, hanging out, and Believe me, I love having a good time. I'm not like a stiff. Like, believe me, I'm I'm a fun guy. Well, at least I, I think I, I think that I think there's times to be fun, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Was there a moment where? And sorry, sorry, I'll, I'll reframe that question. How important was financial security as you went through this growth period? And you know, you started getting, you started making some money. Like, what did that look like for you? And how did that change? The moment my wife life? told me she was pregnant with LJ, I, I was already doing well. I knew it was over. The moment she told me she was pregnant with LJ, I my the whole mind shit. It took me probably two or three years because I was still making good money. But then I was like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to take it up the next level, next level, next level. As I started hanging out, like I thought I had money. For the crowd I was in, I was the wealthiest guy, right? For the crowds I was in. And then I started meeting people with real money. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm not secure at all. Let me go get some security here. Mm, what was that? Do you mind sharing that number? Like where you like thought you were secure and then where did actually where you were thinking the next level of security was? I truly believe for you to be secure in my life and in, in our lifetime, a few million dollars won't make you secure. I think your net worth has to be fifty million and a plus. As long as you don't do drugs or drinking. I think fifty million and plus, you're good. I think if you're I'm not saying you're not you're a millionaire, but you know, I'm working from home today. This is my house. Like I'm not stressing it, right? Like just some working from home, and I mean, I got no. Look, I got I got jeans on, but I got no shoes on. Like, you know what I mean, like I'm working from home. I'm good. I mean, it's my home office right here. Like, I look stressed out. Like, you know, and I'm still building every day, and I work. And I was in the office last two days. Today, I'm working from home. Um, you know, I think you have to be worth fifty million plus. Maybe I even take that number down to twenty million, because the gaps, the gaps widening, right? Like. Try to, like, you know, people don't understand, like, the, when you bought a house two years ago, probably even a year and a half ago, 
The average mortgage in America was seventeen hundred. It's now thirty four hundred, right? Like, just just think about that to buy a new home, seventeen hundred to thirty four hundred. And people are like, oh, it's going to go back down. It might go back down to five six percent interest. You're never going to see three. I'm not a future teller, but it's all. It was almost like all the price of eggs and food and all these materials. If you're in all these different businesses. They haven't brought the prices back down since pre-COVID. Once these greedy fucks make their money and they know they got you, they're not giving it back to you. Yeah, that's yeah, wild. It was crazy, like in the middle of like I was living in Vancouver, Canada during like during COVID, and watching like the gas prices and we make so much gas in Canada and ship it to America and then it gets sold back to Canada. <laughs> and like, dude, the the prices literally daily were just going up and up and up and up and up. And everyone was like, what the fuck is happening? Like we're driving around past the gas station. Everyone's tripping. And then it doesn't go back down. Like that was, the, it went down by like maybe 10, 15%, but it had gone up like exponentially, you know? And it didn't, yeah, it was pretty wild. Pretty freaking wild. Um, I could tell you this, you will, you will, um, You'll see, but we deserve what we get, right? Like, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. We elect these fuckers. Like, I'm not being rude. Like, look at Angela Cortez. She was a bartender six years ago. She's worth $15 million. How are you worth $15 million, right? You know, I just had this conversation with someone. They said, well, she can do inside trading. I said, yeah, but the problem is that if I do that, I go to jail. Why shouldn't they be, go to jail, right? Like, just, are you that much of an elitist? I went from bar. Like, what makes you think they're not changing these things? Listen, remember this. The government's the only thing that takes at will and gives at will barely nothing, but literally generates no revenue. The government generates no revenue. Think about that. Where does the government generate revenue? Taxes. Give me one the single thing. <laughs> From the people. <laughs> they take from other people. Yeah. They literally, and they say, oh, well, we got to pay for kids' schoolings or prisons. No, you don't. You know, it, it's gotten so far out of control. And every time they put a bill, there's some backdoor deal for these guys to get kickbacks and people hired. And But we elect these people. We elect them and we keep electing them. Mm. So, I mean, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm not independent. I don't believe in the system. I think our system is totally broken. And I think we still are the greatest country in the world. And I do believe that. But until we fix the people that we're putting in these places and what they, the power they have to do, nothing's changing. But we keep we keep allowing it. Yeah, tough, man. Tough. So besides the insider trading, let's, let's paint a scenario. What, as someone who's, you know, they're making about 100 grand maybe, you know, towards 150. What do you think the best options are for them to be you know, getting towards some, it's a big jump from 100 grand a year up to 10, $20 million of, of net worth. What do you feel like the best options are for them as we go into this kind of new age? Because things have changed during COVID and things have really shifted over the last five years. This would be the biggest thing I told I would tell people, right? And I wish somebody would have told me this when I was younger, because I would have did it, right? Risk it all when you're young. Who gives a fuck? If you're between 25 and 35 and you're not married, or even if you are married, so what? If she doesn't understand risk, get rid of her. Or he doesn't understand risk, get rid of him. I do. I, people are like, oh, that's so rude. I'm like, ah, nah, it's... Listen, for you to be your partner, 
like there were like I, I said this to my wife one time because my wife said something about something. I said, well, how about I don't pay the fucking bills? How about I don't put food on the table? How about I don't have the heat on? And then let's hear what you have to say about how fucking busy I am. Like you got to put in perspective for people sometimes, right? I, I, I agree, man. A hundred percent. Like Bianca like, and I have these co- similar conversations and it really, those conversations have actually been the most beneficial thing for us getting on the same page. Of course. And being, like, it, and it changed, you know, and it sounds direct and whatever, and it can be direct, you know, and it can be a difficult conversation, but then you get to see, like you said, if some, that's the moment where someone stays and you get on board together or they leave. I tell people this, divorce so, doesn't have to be a bloodbath. Divorce is a very simple thing. All right, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Okay, I agree. If you both are fair about it, right? You know, to, to answer your question directly, if uh, if I, 27 to 35, 25 to 35, I'd be an animal. You guys would hate me. You guys would, your generation would fucking, they would literally, they would, they, someone might shoot me walking down the street. They would. Because I'm not a keep up with the Joneses guy. Look at me. I'm wearing a $10 t-shirt. I'm wearing... I don't know. My wife buys my jeans. So I'm assuming my jeans are probably 40, 50 bucks. They might be more. I don't know. But I can tell you this. They ain't $500 jeans, right? <laughs> I mean, that I can tell you, right? I don't keep up with the Joneses. I don't act like someone I'm not. I would sacrifice. I tell my 34-year-old son, 33-year-old son, sacrifice today so you can live tomorrow. And when I started 1SEO, that's what I did. I literally moved in with my sister into a townhouse, right? Think about this. I was 32 years old, probably. 31, went from being a vice president of AT&T, living in a beautiful place, making money, living a great life to, I'm going to go move in with my sister, her wife, and their kid. I want, just, just, I want you to picture that. How many girls were signing up to date me? <laughs> and I'm starting this brand new company from the ground up. Yeah, wild. Huh? But that's what I did because I knew what I, the end goal I wanted was. So we sacrificed, me and my sister. We worked Christmas Eve. We worked Christmas days. Every holiday, 4th of July, you name it. We, we still work them if we have to. Like, we'll still jump in and help out. We don't care. Like, my wife knows. Now, it's funny. I'll tell you. Here's a true story. I'm not going to say the girl's name because I'm friends with her. About my phone. We're at a date. I'll never forget. I was at Raw Sushi. And my phone kept going off, kept going off. And she's like, man, it's kind of rude. Like you're on your phone answering stuff. And this is like two, year two of my business, year three. And I was making like, I think 60 grand. So you got to remember, I went from being a vice president of AT&T for making a few hundred thousand, close to half a million dollars a year to literally, you know, nothing. But I'm on my phone responding. And she's like, I think it's rude. I said, this phone pays for this dinner tonight. And she's like, I can pay for my own dinner. Hand to God, I saw him go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom, I walked down and left. <laughs> left her with the bill. And I'm still friends with the girl today. That's amazing. That's legendary. <laughs> like, where are you at? I'm like, you said you paid the bill, I'm out. But like, that's the mentality you have to have because people are going to put what their viewpoints are on you and what you should be on you. And you got to be very secure with where you are and where you want to go because people thought I was crazy 14 years ago when I went out on my own and I wouldn't stay in corporate America. And now, now do people think I'm crazy? Probably, but it worked out because mm. yeah. I believed in me. Yeah, you gotta have probably. such belief in yourself 
that it's going to work out, that you know where you're going. Yeah, 100%. And you got to drown out all the noise, all the people around you, your mothers, your fathers, your brothers, your sisters. All these people are going to tell you to, to go be a teacher. Do you know how many times people say to me, I can't go out on my own because I have health benefits? Do you know how many fucking times people say that to me? Well, I got health benefits. I got kids. Let's just say you want the best health. I think I pay four grand a month for my whole family for health benefits. I have a pretty good package, right? That's literally if I go grab a power washer, right? A power washer. I go power wash two, three jobs a week myself. Just power washing. If you can't go find two, three jobs a week to power wash, then Stevie Wonder could find that. No, I'm not being rude. Oh but people tell, sell themselves on the stories. They sell themselves on these stories. Mm. Yeah, totally. Uh, what was your what was your mentality, or when did you? How did you make the decision to leave that you know almost half a million dollar job to go and and start this company? Like, what was the when did you make that decision? I was miserable. My brother Joe died. He OD'd. Um, my brother OD'd. I was living in California. I was miserable, man. California sucks. No offense, to anybody, if you're listening to California, it does. The most fakest, pretentious people. Um, great weather, though. Love the Saddle Ranch. Good place. Um, you know, they got Apollo Loco chicken place. That's pretty good. But, I mean, literally, I mean, there was nothing I liked about California. I was miserable. Um, you know, and I just knew it wasn't a good situation for me. And, you know, my brother Joe died two years to the day he died, April 19th. I left and rolled. Um, it was just yeah, um, it was just too much. It was just too much. And I rolled and that was it. I said, uh, I said, that's it. I'm going to roll and go start my own thing. And I did. I called my sister up who I didn't even know. I met her at my brother Joe's funeral because my dad, when I was younger, uh, I went, my dad came and got us. We're in a bad situation. We're at Milton Hershey school, I think in first grade. My mom came, got us, but this crazy shit, like getting locked up in the bathroom, beating all the time. So my dad, Thought he was doing us a favor, came, got us. He was even crazier, man. Wild dude. Um, moved us to Northeast Philly to Coney, and things just got out of control. And one day we came home, me and my two brothers, to an empty house. And I was in like fourth grade, and the whole house was empty. And me and my brothers, me and my brother Adam and Fred, just lived there by ourselves. The DHS came, got us. But my sister Joe Lynn went with him to Florida, and I never talked to my dad after that ever again in my lifetime. Um, and then I saw my brother Joe OD'd and she came to the funeral and, uh, that was probably 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And, uh, me and her started talking and texting and I called her up and said, listen, I want to start this company. I said, you can pay me, I can pay you five. And the best part is this, when I left AT&T, all the people I knew that I gave jobs to that I was friends with, none of them wanted to come with me except for one guy. And he was my partner for nine years. Sam's like, well, Dave DiPaolo came with me and Jackie Aldridge. But I mean, my sister, JoLynn, so many other people said, nah, 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 nah. JoLynn was like, I'll go with you. All these people told her not to. She had security, delivering, whatever she was delivering. And that company wind up going under. So it was the best decision she made because she's a millionaire now. Um, but, you know, um, and plus we had a great 16-year run together now. It's been a good, she's been my right hand for 16 years. Um, but it is kind of funny though. Um, and this is why I always give a lot of respect to Sam Zeitlin. Um, he left AT&T, came with me, we bought a bar, we bought other businesses, um, you know, grew, 
uh, made a lot of money together, uh, did very well together. We're not partners anymore in anything and not a bad thing. It was just two different, and people think like, you know, I, I can tell you this. I love Sam, his wife and kids. If Sam died tomorrow, I would step in and help his children, his wife. Like I would like just life changes, right? Like things change. I had a vision of this and he had a different vision, right? And those two di- visions just weren't the same anymore. And when you don't have the same vision, it becomes friction, right? Like, it's kind of like you said, you're engaged, right? Like your vision to your fiance might be, man, I'm coming home and we're having sex three, four nights a week. And we're going to go out and have fun. And if your fiance said, no, my vision is to have sex once a week and I'm staying in the house all week long and that's it. Well, they're two different distinct visions, right? Well, you got to make a decision. Are you want to trade your vision for her vision? And if you are, that's fine. For me, I wasn't willing to trade my vision for his vision. And he didn't want to trade his vision for his vision. Yeah. And when we broke everything up, here's a truth story about the kind of man Sam is, the kind of man I am. We sat down in the office for less than an hour. And I'm talking buildings, businesses, everything. And we just divided it up. Didn't get any lawyers into it. We emailed the lawyer together. Then the lawyer is like, well, you guys should hire a separate We're like, nah, dude, just draw it up. We're good. And we just kept to our word. And, you know, I would tell anyone to go into business with Sam Zeitlin. He's probably one of the most honorable, good people you'll ever meet. And, you know, things change. Like, and I love him and kids and, um, you know, just things evolve. Mm-hmm. And I've had some shitty business partners, you know, where they're just scumbags. And you got to really try and block yourself from them. Yeah. I'd love to know, like, do you have any ways or maybe it's just a sense that you go off like are you looking for particular things or you just have a gut feel nowadays because like i've got a friend who's in wealth management and you know he's one of the top in canada and he's got some nightmare stories of people just you know of businesses splitting best friends and then it's like they didn't they kind of just did the handshake style and then when push came to shove it fell apart you know it sounds horrible i don't do that listen i was the biggest handshake guy in the world and someone that i knew that i thought was a friend handshake me. I gave him over a million dollars. Imagine giving this guy in less than probably 15 months over a million dollars. Guy never made probably a half, guy probably never made more than a quarter million dollars his whole life. I gave him over a million dollars, over a million dollars. Probably, I, I couldn't even tell you the exact number, right? And he tried to scumbag me and dirtbag me and turn everything around and turn people again. He wanted to be me. Now he's back to his small little company and, you know, he's a, you know, he'll never be, you know, he'll, he'll be the big fish in Northeast Philly and be the man and yada, 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 and woo, but he'll never be anything truly successful because he didn't understand how it works. He doesn't understand relationships matter. Everything matters. Um, you know, so he'll never have true success. You know what I mean? But, you know, um, so now after that experience, every I's dotted, every T's crossed, crossed the board, and it's not personal. And I always tell people, if you don't want to dot the I's and cross the T's, I'm not the business partner for you anymore. You know, I have to protect myself. I have to protect all the people that work for me. I have to protect all the companies. I know I'm going to do the right thing. I always have. I can't say the same for people. You know, it, it takes a long time. You know, my partner, Scott, and we've been together for eight years now, right? Grew that company. I trust him more than 99% of the people that have been in my life for years because his actions show me he's a good man. His actions shows me he's a good business partner. A lot of these people, man, they see what you have. They want it right away. They want instant gratification. Yeah. 
totally. Well, how did how did you get into the roofing side of things? Because that seems like quite a wild transition from from marketing. I own a roofing. I own a roofing company right now. I own an HVAC company right now. I own two technology companies right now. I mean, like, I kind of fell into roofing. I mean, here, here's a true story. Cherry Roofing. Um, Josh Cherry was my client at One SEO. Called me up because um, I already sold an HVAC company to uh, to um, private equity. And for mid eight figures in less than two years. And Josh Cherry called me up and said, listen, you know, I'm tired. I'm broke. I got $20,000 in my bank. I have debt. I've been doing this for 40 years. His family business. Be my partner. Just take care of my company. I said, I'm not just going to take care of your company. I think I forget how much I gave him. Not much money. I said, but I'll put some money in to use. I, I didn't give him any. I put it into the company to use to scale the company and do the right things. And in less than 15 months, um, we sold that for eight figures and Josh is a multimillionaire. And there's a video testimonial um, showing like, hey, listen, I, I had 20,000 in my bank less than 16 months later. I'm walking out of here with like six or seven million plus he's owed a few more million still. How do you do that? Like that's what? So you build the company up the right way with systems, processes, sales get the right EBITDA number. These private equity firms are begging for good companies that are producing three, 4 million in EBITDA. Mm. Wild. With the Wild. right systems and processes. Yeah, crazy. Did you like, I guess, did you feel like now that since you had that structure in building your first company, you just transferred the same skills across to building these? Like, were they just easily scalable? I've, built four, I've sold four companies in the last two years. Um, yeah, the last two years. Um, it's It's... Listen, when people tell you shit's easy, you're liars. It's difficult. Like, it's difficult. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot a lot of personality managing. Every, it's, I, I equate it to this. Everybody tells you, listen, you're a good-looking kid. You're in great shape, man, right? Like, that's not easy. But everyone wants to look like you, but no one's willing to do the work to look like you. Yeah. Right? That's That's the facts, right? Same thing in business. Everybody wants to have the multimillionaire, everybody wants to be, have the watches. Everybody wants to have, I, I drive a pickup truck because I'm not a car guy, but that's besides the point. But, you know, everybody wants to have the cars and all this stuff, but they're not willing to pay the ultimate price for it. And that means no matter what you are, because no one's going to give you money. Everyone just thinks people hand you money. You have to give such value, people want to hand you money. Make sense? And if your value and you're giving a lot of value, people will overpay you all the time because there's so many shitty people out there just giving no value. Mm. So what that's kind of what got, got me into it. And, yeah. you know, the right partners are what you need. And you just keep working and building. I mean, I just bought Titan Pro six months ago. They went from being, you know, a half a million dollar company to we're going to do already, we're on pace to do $3 million our first year in business. Mm. It doesn't sound like a lot. You know, Munn's Roofing, Munn's Roofing is a five-month-old company that we started uh, five months ago. Yeah, we started in July, August, September, October, November, December. So six months, and it was a startup. And in December, we did $1.8 million, and we did close to $400,000 in EBITDA. Wow. Wow, dude. That's amazing. So, and they're startups. Yeah. These That's small crazy. companies, I put them together, and we grow them. But everyone has to be on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, totally. How do you see kind of the job at 
I mean, the job landscape, the economy and all that sort of stuff changing in the next couple of years. Because it was like, there's been a lot of fear and like, you know, like we talked about a little bit about politics, but I mean, like things have just seemed very, very chaotic. And it's felt like we're on the edge of a recession for like four years. Well, we are, we are in a recession. You call it what you want. Listen, you know, people have different names for different shit, right? Like, you know, I went up to Kalahari this year for New Year's Eve, right? And it was, I went two years, we, we go every year to Kalahari. Kalahari was dead this year. I mean, dead. You'd have a problem walking to any restaurant, getting reservations. You had no problem getting cabanas, no problems. Like, it was dead. Last year, it was a complete zoo. Well, last year was we're still coming out of COVID. Money was being given away. People had money. This year, it was dead. And people started making excuses. They raised the room rates too much. So I went back. I didn't say anything to anyone. I went back and looked to see how much the rooms were. The rooms were identical pricing. Identical pricing. Identical. And they started high at first, and then they brought them down, right? Like everyone does. And I started laughing. And I'm like, guys, like, no, people can't afford it. People can't afford groceries right now. The average person isn't us. The average person, you know, just Google it in your town, probably makes $52,000, right? To put two of them together, you got an income of $104,000. Add two kids there, what's that getting you? Even take two people that make $100,000 and add two kids to that. Makes sense? You have bills, everything's up. Gas is up, you know. Interest rates are up if you're buying a car is up, you know. Everything is up. Your monthly payments are up in your household. Discretionary income just is not there. Mm. So we are in a recession, in my opinion. But the best business people thrive in recessions. Mm -hmm. And how do you see, I'm I'm really curious how, what you think about how AI is becoming, you know, pretty prevalent and technology is just moving faster and faster and faster. And there's like almost like a shortage of, I mean, do you think there's going to be a shortage of, of labor? You know, and people who are skilled as like plumbers. I don't think it's going to be a short. This is what I think is going to happen. Yes, right. I think people that know how to make money know how to make money. I think people that don't know how to make money complain about their wages. Meaning, i.e., this is not a shot at a McDonald's worker, right? McDonald's workers have been on the front page of the newspaper every year for the last five, ten years. And they don't realize they're doing it to themselves. Walmart's people are doing it to they, you're, you're creating your own fucking extinction, right? And I just sit here and laugh, right? And a guy in Europe now has a fully robotic McDonald's. He has the first one, and he owns, I think, 24 or 23 of them. And they're all fully robotic from literally. They drop the French fries, hamburgers off. They get scaled. They equate for the box, right? So there's no interaction with the drivers no more, right? And the robot signs based on the scale. It takes it into the freezer. And the whole thing is automated in. The whole entire thing has robots cleaning up the place. Everything, right? You hand your food through the drive-through, right? At all the ordering, right? That's gonna be Wendy's now, Burger King, Wawa's. Just when people see that there's gonna be a bean can, they don't care about your jobs. Like, like, so AI, yes, you know, you know, we, we use, like someone said to me the other day, he's like, well, you want you don't want AI writing your content. You want a content writer your content. I looked at him and I said, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? You're writing a fucking novel? 
I'm writing content for LB Capital, roofing sites. I'm writing content. Get it up to par, change it around, and get it to the score where they're 90 in SEM rush. Guess the best screen. Guess our keyword density. Interlink it. What are we talking about? Oh, don't you want that that creativity? No, I if I want create I don't smoke weed, but if I wanted creativity, I'd probably smoke weed and fucking run around my farm and underwear. Like, what are you talking about? No, you want creativity so you feel good about taking your time doing shit. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it is, it's weird, isn't it? Like, that's some, the part of our brain that likes to take, you know, feel like we've put in more work or it's a better product because we took more time and it's just not a fucking reality. You know? Time's the only thing you can't get back. I, my companies are starting to use AI for everything. AI, automation. Listen, Service Titan, I put all my companies on Service Titan. People are like, why? I'm like, because I don't have to build anything out. They build it for me. They're the technology company. I don't have to hire developers. I might have to hire an API integration person. That's it. Like, listen, business people are very sharp. And, you know, I say this to people all the time. Most people don't. The reason why lottery people go broke normally statistically after a few years is because they didn't earn the money they went in mm. they did they just took it they literally just took a bet and they and they won it so they lose the money right when you work for years to accumulate money there's a skill set you start to get because no one just hands you money and you get sharper and sharper and you get better and better at it and then the hyenas and jackals start to circle to come get that come get what's yours so you become even tougher makes sense and you learn business even more totally. that's my point to you is these guys will, all these people that want to talk about creativity, taking my time, I don't want to work overtime, um, it's too hard here, too much work to do. Those jobs are all going to be replaced with AI, automation, robotic people. And customers, I can tell you right now, don't care how they get their fucking cheeseburger. Customers can tell you right now, they don't care how they get the content. And, you know, the nice part about roofing is, I think, you know, some people say they got robots out there already. I saw two of them that can do a roof. I don't think people are comfortable yet with um, robots yeah. being at their house, seeing yeah. on their roofs on. Do I think 30 years from now, you'll see robots doing HVAC and doing uh, roofs and doing painting? Yes, I do. I do. You've seen, you've seen the robots like in person? There's a robot for roofing already, yes. Wild. Wow. Is it shaped uh, like human or is it like, what's the. Yeah, it goes up on the roof, starts, starts lighting shields. I'll send you the link to it. Yeah, 100%. I want to see that. That's fucking bonkers. It's in a beta test. But the point being is someone's going to create it. You got to think about this, right? Roofing's really, really, really simple and painting's really, really simple. Like there's a thing called Paint Scout, right? Out there and it's a tool. And most people don't even understand it. And you put in there your pricing, the room dimensions, and exactly what's in there. It tells you how much the paint costs, how much paint you need, and how long it should take you to get the room done. You put it into a robot's chip, put it in there, paint's there, just goes right to the room. This is the living room. Now you might need a human at first to let them know it's the living room, and this is the dining room, and switch out paint, whatever, but it's coming. Same thing for roofs. Uh, HVAC, I think, and plumbing is going to be a little bit more difficult because there's so many moving pieces to all that. Um, but I think roofing and painting, siding. Wow, man. That's crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know it's like once it's, once the cat's out of the bag, I mean, that's what's been really interesting for me is like one of my um, best friends is 
he's a he's like a individual contributor like a coder for one of the large tech companies and it's like he was like dude you don't need to learn how to code anymore he's like but the knowledge that i have about coding now allows me to like scale the ai because i can tell i know how to like paint the picture for it or do the outline for it to fill in the gaps and it's like you know a lot of guys that he works with are kind of like robots themselves you know and so when you're talking about someone who's like oh, i want to be creative and stuff like that you're going against other guys who are just like blinkers on fully just like in this world and already here's a true story it. and i fired my video guy over it right there's a tool called CapCut. You ever hear of it? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I got this young kid, Dean, Dean White, nice guy, young kid. He's hungry. He owns a little agency. He's like, you know, I mentor him. He's a really nice guy, right? I try to help people. I walked right, I was speaking somewhere. I forget it was Texas, whatever. Walks, you're Lance Bachman, you're an Instagram guy, right? I'm like, cool. And we, he, he built a relationship with me. He comes to my house. He stays for a week. We went to Florida to speak. He's filming me going to the airport with him. Now, my video guy's there for the whole time, right? Doesn't produce an ounce of content. This guy's just posting it. And I don't say a word. And the videos are cool as shit, right? So then he gets me the morning of. I said to the video guy, right? You know, I said, this guy's produced better videos in the last 12 hours than you have in the last six months. Just right off a cap cut off his phone. Because he's just literally getting the content, getting the content out. Just putting it together, putting music to it. He's like, I don't think, see the quality there. I'm like, no one gives a fuck about your quality, dude. It's going on Facebook, Instagram. Like, what are you talking about? Your quality. And he kind of get all upset and literally say a week later, I fired him. Mm. Yeah. Because people don't understand. And that's why it's so hard to get a full-time video guy. You almost need like a social media video person that I'm looking for now. Some young kid that gets, I just got to use CapCut, one of these tools. And I have all the equipment, everything, but you don't need all that for everyday life. You just need plug, go and go and go. Dude, so this is like, so we're up in like a barrio, like a, a neighborhood in uh, Medellin, which is like, it's the most notorious place for kidnapping white people, gringos. And we like, so we got an in with a guy who like knew the paramilitary and they grow like the best coffee in Medellin. And it's like, you're going through this area, you can't take your phone through like a certain part these guys are like fucking killed a bunch of people. These are like proper fucking murderer gangs. And we go up and then we like have to climb all these stairs. It's like really, really hard. And it's like, you're looking down on Medellin and you're like, well, man, I'm in the hood. And it's like, just conquer. Everyone's like, they built their houses from cardboard boxes and then they buy like 10 bricks. And then the next week they buy another 10 bricks and like gradually, gradually building their homes. So these things are like, you know, Ricky looking homes. And we get to this lady's house and she like they, they harvest the coffee and there's these two kids and they're like they're eight and ten these two kids in the middle of fucking nowhere and they saved up all of their tips from this little coffee tour to get a phone and they go and they bought a phone a shitty phone and this kid and all his buddies they fucking they went around and they like they choreograph all these tiktoks of their neighborhood and stuff do they get hundreds of thousands of views on every single video and we are in like the middle of nowhere. This kid saved up tips to get a phone and he's just crushing. And he's and people, but then people will tell you, and all these guys that come to work for you, like you don't have the proper equipment. You need this, you need that. I'm like, guys, I got literally a hundred thousand dollars in podcast equipment. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Like there's a hundred grand worth of equipment here. People are doing this shit with a Mac computer and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, man.
crazy. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. It's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, so, so to answer your question directly, yeah. yes, AI, robotics, you know, everyone, and even thinking about this, financial wealth. Mm. So all these financial wealth planners, if they ain't real, don't have relationships, they're gone. Insurance people are all going to be gone. Yeah. You don't, you, the AI is going to do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It already I got, exists. I know, man. It's so crazy. And even the, the ease of what you can put a PDF in and go like, what is this? All you say is like a legal document that I made no sense of. And I put it into PDF reader. You Google PDF reader free AI. You don't even have to download an app. It's just like a free, they give you a free demo and you're like, what does this mean? And it just transfer understands all the you. It's like, you know, and it's so crazy. And I like, I'd already messaged my buddy who's a lawyer. And I was like, Hey man, like, can you let me know what this means? Like, it's really confusing. And I don't understand, like, am I in trouble? Or like, I don't get it. And I ended up deleting the message off WhatsApp because the AI did it faster than he even replied and read it. <laughs> like, you know, what a trip. So I'd love to, um, just a couple of last questions. Like, why do you think people shouldn't listen to their parents? When you said that. <sighs> so I got something to say to watch how I, I word this, right? You know, when I grew up, if I just could have been a trash man, and I shot at not being disrespectful, if I could have just been a trash man or anything, that would have been a win to my mom. Make sense? Yeah. My mom didn't have a job, bunch of kids, nightmare situation. She got a job for the government as a tax collector. And, you know, my mom never made good money, but listen, my mom, my, my mom showed up where she did the best she could. Well, fear is a powerful thing. Fear is a powerful thing. And parents fear for their children. They just do. They just do. I mean, I fear for my children. I'm afraid my child might get hit by a bus or, you know, some drastic might happen. Get kidnapped, right? You go watch uh, Sound of Freedoms. You see how fucking crazy this country really is, right? Like, you're like, wow, this is just... And the government's even worse with it, right? So parents are going to give their children what they know, what they're comfortable with. Make sense? That's why you see so many cops, their kids become cops. Firefighters, their teachers, their kids become teachers, right? And so on and so on. It becomes generational, right? So it's no different than addiction and alcoholic and abuse. It just goes down. Well, the same thing happens there, right? I'm not saying your parents don't love you when they give you this information. For me, my sons... I want them to listen to me about life lessons, work hard. Normally the hardest working person in the room gets luckier, right? People, you know how many times I hear many times I, man, you got so lucky, Lance, you got so lucky. And I just smile. I never say it works. I'm a humble guy, but in the back of my mind, I'm like fucking humble. I'm up, I'm fucking lucky. I, I'm up at two in the morning sometimes with anxiety still. And I never got to work again in my lifetime because I want to win so bad. Motherfucker, you wouldn't even understand that thought process. You couldn't even understand the thought process of your farm being paid off, everything being paid off, no debt, having shit ton of cash in the bank, and the desire to win outweighs anything. You so like don't tell me that. But I don't so like when when you're talking to your children, I want them to understand the life values of hard work. Hard work, hard work. But if my kids want to be a librarian, go be a librarian. My kids want to be a cop, go be a cop. My kids want to be an astronaut, go be a kid. My kids want to own their own business. Be their, my children do not have to be me. All I want is my kids to be happy. I think, you know, and I say this all the time, people build these businesses and they want to hand them to their children. 
And I think that's the most arrogant thing you could do. What makes you think your child wants to be you? What makes you think your life is that great that your child should have your life? What makes you happy doesn't make the next person happy. I'm straight. If one of my men, one of my sons ever told me they were gay, I would love my sons. I'd stand by their side and I'd walk right down fucking Pride Street with them with a big flag and not think twice. I just would. Like, that's who I am. So that's why I say don't listen to your fucking parents because parents want to tell you what to do. And most people aren't risk takers. If you're a risk taker, think about this. How old are you, Josh? I'm 30. You're 30. You don't have kids yet, right? No. Imagine if you lost it all today. Throw all the shit out of your nice little home there. Take all the clothes off your back. Know what, Josh? Tomorrow the sun's going to rise. Tomorrow you could go work in that coffee shop, right? Start saving your money again and build it all over again. It ain't that bad. But people act like failing is the worst thing ever. And I think social media made it even worse because you should hear, man, when, when like these people post, oh, my kid beat this kid. And it, or like, or these, like, like failure is the best thing that could happen. It's the best. That's how you learn. I truly believe I'm where I'm at because I failed so much in life. That's why I say don't listen to your parents. And I mean that with all my heart. And definitely don't listen to your fucking school teachers. Don't listen to them, motherfuckers. I agree. Definitely, definitely do not listen to those fuckers. Goddamn. I mean, listen to your school teacher about two plus two equals four. I mean, these schools now are teaching politics. I don't care either one. They're telling kids what they should do with their lives. Like, what do you know about my child? You should be telling him what to do with his life. Yeah, it's wild. Super wild. Do you have a, a habit that you think that you'll never, what, sorry, I'll reframe that question. What's a habit that you've kept that you think you'll continue to do? I try and work out every morning for at least a half hour to an hour. Mm. I do. I, I truly believe, listen, I don't, I'm not the fountain of youth. I'm not the best body in the world, but for going on 50, I look decent. I feel great. And I think that's important. Dude, I feel like you're, you're 50 looking like you're 40. Killing it. Killing <laughs> it. Okay. And then last, last one I think is, if you have a message for those guys that we've been talking about, like, what do you feel like young men need to hear? In- it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay if you just keep going. Most people don't realize it's good. What, what's important today, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, and she's one of my good friends today, so I could probably say her name. Her name is Shay Covey. She was my high school sweetheart, right? And I remember when me and her broke up. And I remember, like, thinking, like, it was over. Like, she met this guy. She's married to Rob now. He's a great guy. I'm friends with him. Like, but I remember, like, thinking, like, oh, my God, my life's over. And when I lost that locksmith job, my life was over. And what's important today does not matter tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, what's important today does not. And I wish I wish I could have told myself that back then. I wish I could tell. I try to tell my sons that all the time. Like, my sons will lose. Like, when you have kids, Josh, you're going to want to puke. Like, they get upset about – like, these kids will, like, fight each other over a pickup football game. And I remember I used to, too. Like, but then I look back, like, my friend Kamar and me used to fight over a dumb pickup football game. And, and I'm like, Jesus, did we real – do you realize how insignificant this snapshot in time is? My message would be this. No matter what you're going through, if you just get up tomorrow and just do one thing to change your life and have a positive mindset – it's going to work out. That's why everything I do is positive. I don't, I'm not around. I don't do well with negative people. I don't do well with negative environments. 
you'll never hear me talk shit on someone. I don't like listen to people talk shit on other people. You know, it's just not who I am. Um, I My biggest thing is to all those young men that listen to your podcast, I know you have a demographic around 25 to 35-ish, correct? Is that the correct demographic? You know, I would say to them, man, like, when you're 50, you're going to look back at 25 to 35 and say, why didn't I travel more? Why didn't I risk more? Why didn't I have a little bit more fun? And uh, that uh, it's going to be okay. Mm. It's just, it's, even if you fail, like, no, what's funny is, and I said this to someone, they were like, you know, I failed. My son ran for, my son ran for um, president of his little fourth grade class, which is nothing. And he came home and he's like, dad, I lost to what's his name. And he was crying. He's like, you know, I was like, why are you upset, son? He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, everyone knows. I said, son, you got, say there's 30 kids in your class, in your grade, right, LJ? I said, only two of you had the nutsack to step up and run. Every one of those other kids wanted to run. Make no sense. They wanted to be the cool kid. They wanted to be class president, like whatever, right? Um, Cause I even look back at like Ryan O'Keefe was my class president. And I know who he was like. 30 years, 40 years later, I know who my class president was, right? Like, come on. Like, so it's a cool thing to do. I get it, right? Like, I could tell you my prom queen was Allison Hughes. Erica Bates was runner up. Like, I could tell you Tom Coleman was the prom king. Like, so like, like you, like, I get it because I'm not a moron. Not, oh, that doesn't matter. No, everyone wants to be part of those type of things because they are the popular cool kids, right? But like I told him, it's so insignificant, LJ. And you had the guts to run the 28 other kids that didn't just do the math on that. LJ, I said, just do the math on that. Only you and that other kid are only about 5% of your whole class that had the guts to go run. That's courage. That's what you want to be. Don't worry about all the cowards. Mm. And he understood it. Epic. And like, so like, that's what I would tell to your audience. Like, don't worry about what the cowards think of you. I mean, Go to, if you want to see the circus, go to the comments section on social media. Yeah, exactly. Man, perfect. Thank you so much for your time. That was a, Thank you, that Josh, was a very much. I appreciate it. Fucking roll.